still working? It is working. Okay. Well, thank you, Zeke. Uh, yes, my name is Brian. I hope you guys had a wonderful Christmas. Uh, I know that we did, and uh, I'm pretty sure Zeke had me uh, covering for today because with so many people gone on vacation, I'd do the least amount of damage. <laughs> so uh, Zeke's a very wise man, but uh, let's pray. Thank you, God, so much. I pray that we would be a blessing to you today. God, that we would be worshiping you, praising you, and we would turn our hearts towards you. That today, and especially this morning, would be all about you, God. Uh, Thank you so much for this time and all the people here. In Jesus' name, amen. Recently, I was offered a promotion of sorts, and I happened to work up at Fort Irwin, uh, which isn't far from here. And if you're not aware, uh, Fort Irwin is the United States Army's largest combat training center in the world, and it supports thousands and thousands of soldiers every month uh, to train to become the grading fighting force in the world. And until... A few months ago, I had literally the greatest job in the world. Um, and I'm, I'm sure some of you have been there where you're like, man, this is the greatest job in the world. I do this, I do that, and it's just amazing. Um, but really, I had the, the greatest job in the world. I would, um, especially for you guys, um, I would drive around in the desert in a Humvee, um, just four-wheeling out there, and I would throw pyrotechnics uh, all over the battlefield. That, that, that's, that was it. I would just drive around and make explosions everywhere. And it was, it was pretty awesome, but um, it, it had some drawbacks. You know, it, uh, it, it had terrible hours, basically. I was working any, any old time. Um, and with three kids at home, uh, and we're talking really young kids. Uh, I've got a one-year-old, a two-year-old, and a three-year-old um, at home. And uh, I, yeah, I don't know how my wife does it. <laughs> I, I really don't. Um, so I knew that uh, something with more regular hours uh, would be immensely helpful for my wife. And uh, so I started keeping my eyes open. Um, and uh, God bless my wife uh, through the whole thing. She just kept telling me, you know, uh, that she just wanted me to be happy wherever I was, you know, all that, and and that was awesome. Um, but uh, you know, I knew that with better hours, I would be happy because I would be giving her the support that she really needed, especially right now um, with the kids. Um, and lo and behold, the position opened up. Um, in my company, uh, it was a lead position. Uh, it had um, better pay. You know, I'd be in charge of you know 14 or so people, and um, and it had regular hours. Perfect, right? So we prayed, and we prayed seeking God's will. You know, what what is your plan, God? What 
do you want for us? What do you want us to do? Where, where do you want to lead us in this? Um, you know, the, the usual thing, right? And we prayed, and then we prayed some more, and that's kind of when things got a little bit crazy. Um, so if you could uh, open up your Bibles to uh, John chapter 15. Is there a water bottle up here? No, it's okay. It's if, if not, no big deal. No, I'm all right. Oh, thanks. I should have brought my own. Um, while a message doesn't have to have a title, uh, in my mind, the title of this message is the confusing. Oh, awesome! You're amazing. The, the title to this message, in my mind, is The Confusing Part of God's Plan. And now that might not instill a lot of confidence in you. Um, if you hear me out, I hope by the end of the message you'll see it's, it's fitting. So, let's see, John chapter 15. There we go. I am the true vine. This is verse 1. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Two weeks ago, Zeke did a study on boldness. He titled it, This is the Boldness. And it was out of 1 John chapter 5. In it, Zeke implored us, as John did, um, to have boldness in speech and in our petitions to God that through the life and death of Jesus Christ, we can have boldness and confidence that we have a place in God's family. We can know that God hears us, and we can have even boldness to whine to God, as Zeke puts it. And that's powerful, that really is. Um, If we can truly grasp that concept and, and really work it out in our life, that can really have an impact on our life. We can, we can have fellowship with God or as Zeke taught us, the koinonia, for those of you who speak Christianese, uh, koinonia being that communion, the joint participa- participation, the share which one has in anything, participation, a gift jointly contributed. In college, my uh, fellow students and I would hang out in the cafeteria area once a week when they would put out these crazy good cookies they'd put out. And they were just free for the taking. And we would have this really, really great uh, fellowship time talking about the Bible or, or whatever um, and eating these fantastic cookies. And so, of course, this uh, fellowship slash uh, cookie time was called Cookie Nia. 
Um, and we can do this. We can do this very same thing with God. We can have our kukinia with God. We can have boldness and knowing that he wants this too. So I asked myself, how do I have this boldness when things go crazy? I want to be bold in God, and I want to know deep down that I have a place in his family and that he hears me. But I have to admit that there's times in life where that can seem impossible. There are just those times where things just go nuts. And, and I think to myself, wow, that is totally not what I was expecting was going to happen. And it can make being confident in God difficult. And it makes me think about all those books that you see in the bookstore or online about God's plan for you or, you know, what is God's plan for your life or, or knowing God's plan. You know, all, all those books that you see. Because I know that if I knew God's plan down to the slightest detail, then I could have confidence and boldness. Right? If I knew exactly what was going to come next, where I should go, what I should do, what path to take, I, I'd be all over that. I'd have no worries. I would just have confidence and boldness. I have some family members who were driving down Highway 138 recently, and they were driving near the bridge for the water runoff, and when an oncoming car decided, nah, it's a good idea to pass two big rigs in a non-passing zone. And they got really close. They Both cars uh, barely escaped mutual destruction. I mean, they were going obviously fast enough that there would have been nothing. It was a big scare for them. But tell me, if they intrinsic, intrinsic, intrinsically knew, it's cursed, you cursed me, this pulpit is cursed, intrinsically knew God's plan for them, if they knew that there was no way that they were going to collide with that vehicle, that they were going to be safe and sound, and heck, not only are you not going to collide with them, there's even going to be a couple extra inches in between you. You can even speed up a little bit. If they knew that, do you think that they would have boldness when they're driving down the road? Absolutely. And that's what I want sometimes in life. I want to know what's going to happen next. I want to know God's plan and maybe you feel like that too. So what is God's plan for me? And what's God's plan for you? I, d I don't know. I really don't. I don't know the specifics of God's plan for your life or for my life. Sometimes I wish I did. Of course, the skeptical side of me says, well, if you knew every step along the way, then you couldn't have any faith. Or... You know, if you knew the whole plan for your life, then your life would be pretty boring and blah, 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 all that stuff. But me being real with you, sometimes I wish I did because life can get pretty crazy. Yet despite all the craziness, there is a part of God's plan that I do know. In John chapter 15, we find Jesus speaking with his disciples prior to his death. Chapters 14 through 17 of the Gospel of John are considered 
Jesus' farewell discourse and were spoken to his disciples immediately after the Last Supper. So just a few days ago, we celebrated his birth. Now shoot forward with me to right before his crucifixion where Jesus is having a heart-to-heart with his disciples. These verses in John chapter 15 are some parallel verses to those taught by Zeke two weeks ago. And I say parallel because they have some of the same themes to them. So how do we have that boldness and confidence, especially in times when it's so hard to see? We need to abide in Christ. And that kind of sounds like some more Christianese there. It sounds familiar, so I'm going to break it down for you. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, uses an analogy to drive home his point. He says that he is the true vine and his father is the vine dresser or the husbandman. And all the branches that do not bear fruit, he takes away. And all those that do, he prunes them so that they bear more fruit. And in Greek, the, where it says that he's pruning them, the father is cleansing the branches through pruning them. In this, he starts painting a picture of the living vine. You can see this huge vine with zillions of branches, each representing one of us. And, and then the father is there taking care of the whole thing. And then in verse 3, to the disciples, Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word I spoke to you. Basically, they had already been cleansed through the pruning by the Father, and it was expected of them that they bear much fruit in it. And this they could not do alone. There's no way a branch can bear fruit all by itself. It's pretty clear of the picture that he's making that if you took one of those branches off the vine, it's not going to do much. There's no way a branch can bear fruit all by itself. It needs to be connected to its vine. And the same is true for you and I. We cannot do anything apart from God. Really think about that for a second. And when I run into ideas like that, I try to take them as far as they go. And it goes kind of something like this. Let's use something simple like me just standing up here. I can't stand up here without my feet or my legs. And the only reason I have those feet and those legs is because for some reason I was able to keep them for 33 years. I haven't done anything to lose them. And I, that which what I was born with. And I was born with a full body and I was born of parents who existed before me and they were born of parents who existed before them. And on and on and on and on and on until you see God creating the first man and the first woman. God enabled this very moment through that. And yet it is not only that he set this whole example of mine in motion, but he also continually keeps this in stasis until he wills it otherwise. In this I can clearly see that I must abide in Christ to do anything of worth. This is abiding in Christ, knowing and acting as if I can only do anything through him. Let's look at verse 6 here.
If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. The crux of this verse is to re-emphasize that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. This is not necessarily a good verse to develop an entire eschatology on hell or eternal punishment, nor do I believe it to be the purpose, so I'm not really going to go down that road. Rather, it's Jesus here directs his disciples to the understanding that apart from him, they can do nothing and would be worth as much as a withered branch thrown into the fire. And my wife and I knew this. We knew that in our life, we were to do anything of worth, we needed to be dwelling in the vine or abiding in Christ. We knew that. So we were praying about this new job, and really everything seemed great. Everything was lining up. Um, everything that we could see was leading to take this job. So I went to the interview. And I, I knocked it out of the park. I got the position. But I quickly realized that it, the position wasn't a good fit for me. And not at all, actually. And that really confused me. And I wasn't happy, and I, and I wanted to move on to something else. And it just so happened that one of my new co-workers, my newfound co-workers, was a good friend of someone who worked for a completely different team. There's a lot of, lot of different positions up at Fort Irwin. And that person was a government employee and held a position on a team that I had been wanting to get on ever since I left the Army a few years ago. But I'd never been able to have a chance to apply for the position because people over there really don't give up positions from that team. It's, it's, a, it's a stellar position. It's, it's, it's great. So this guy had my dream job and come to find out they just happened to have seven positions opening up. And th through my coworker, my newfound coworker, I was able to make that coveted professional connection. You know, the one where everyone says, oh yeah, yeah, you got that job. You, you nailed that one for sure. You're going to get on that team. And again, everything looked like this is exactly what God wanted me to do. I had all the qualifications. I had the pre-interview with them. I, had, I was passing out my resume like it was Halloween candy. Everything was lining up. It was my dream job. And my, my wife and I looked at each other and said, well, this must be why you had to take the job you're in now. It all makes sense. I would never have had made the connections or got the information, nailed the pre-interview, etc., etc., unless I got this job. This is God's will. It, it has to be. It all makes sense. How could we have been so silly, we were telling ourselves. All of our confusion seemed to be washed away. If there was any, any doubt about whether we were following God's plan for us, it was cast out the window. <clears throat> we knew that we were abiding in Christ through the whole thing. So now, with my newfound boldness, I formally submitted my resume. Let's look at verse 7. 
If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Have you ever heard a two-year-old pray? They're just really magical glimpses into the simplicity of faith that only a child could have. To hear my daughters pray for this new job almost brought me to tears. Of course, as big, strong daddy, or as my youngest daughter calls me, the nice dinosaur. <laughs> you, I couldn't let my, my kids see the nice dinosaur cry, so you know I, I, I hold back the tears. But every time I heard them say the words, and pray for the food, and pray that daddy gets the new job, you know, my heart melted. Of course we were going to get the job. There's no way we could lose now. With that kind of fire, firepower, no way. My wife praying, I was praying, my little two prayer warrior daughters praying. We had it in the bag. We nailed it. And of course we had the words, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be, shall be done for you. We had those words going for us too, right? Well, this is a tough verse and it comes with a lot of baggage. Let's look at John 4, or you don't have to turn there, but we're going to go over John 14, 12, and 1 John 3, 22, as these are some of the companion verses. For John 14, 12, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And as Zeke taught two weeks ago, 1 John 3.22, or was it was it 3.22? It doesn't matter. 1 John 3.22, And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. People have struggled with these verses for a long time because... To be 100% honest with you, the plain meaning of these words here seem, don't always seem to match up with our experiences. I won't tempt God here and pray in faith to become a monkey or the nice dinosaur or whatever, just to show you that these verses don't seem to match with our experiences. Though it might be funny to have a talking monkey up here um, it probably isn't going to happen. And now, of course, I say probably because it would be just my luck that God would say, oh, yeah, you want to be a talking monkey? No problem. Bam. Talking monkey up here. Everybody who wasn't saved is now coming up to the pulpit to be saved, you know, or, or running out the door. Um, yet talking monkeys aside, the plain meaning of these words seem inconsistent with our experiences. And this has driven a lot of very studious people to have varying degrees of opinions on them. Let's explore some of these, and I'll let you decide. The first opinion here is that the verses in John 15 are strictly for those disciples whom he was speaking to at the moment. They don't necessarily apply to you and I specifically because you and I weren't, weren't there. We weren't the ones being addressed. Second opinion is kind of got two parts to it, and I'm going to quote Joseph Benson here. Uh, he sums it up quite well. Um, he says, two things are implied in this promise. First, that the true disciples of Christ who abide in him and in whom his word abides 
as above explained, will not ask anything but what is proper to be done for them and according to the will of God. They will especially ask spiritual blessings, which they know it is his will they should ask and receive, and will ask them in the way which he hath prescribed, namely, sincerely, earnestly, importunately, and perseveringly, and in the way of repentance, faith, and new obedience." And in the name of Christ, relying on the success of their petitions, on the meditation of Christ, and the mercy and promise of God to him. And when it comes to temporal blessings, they'll ask them conditionally. The second part is, they, will, they shall always have such an interest in Christ's sacrifice and intercession and in God's favor through him, that all their prayers shall be accepted and their petitions granted in the degree, time, and manner in which they themselves desire they should be granted so basically either your will is already in line with God's or you ask something conditionally or you're asking in God's timing that kind of really really basically sums up what he says there but uh, a third opinion here is that these verses only apply to spiritual things meaning yes you may ask for anything to include temporal things, riches, honors, profits, all that stuff. Um, but it's only of the spiritual things that these verses apply. Um, and the fourth opinion um, is usually a, a mixture of the other three there. And that kind of sums up the general thoughts on these verses. So where did that leave my wife and I? Did these verses apply to us? Was praying for a job a spiritual thing? Was this new job already in God's will and we just had to ask for it? I don't know, but I know that what happened next left me devastated. Let's look at verses 8 and 9 John chapter 15. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so, that, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. The same level of love that God has for his son, Jesus, is the same level of love that Jesus has for you. That's pretty amazing. Abide in that. Now, personally, I can only speak from experience here, but when I see the words abide in Jesus' love, I see that as meaning I must truly strip away all the baggage that my ego holds on to and attempt to realize all the areas in my life in which the love of Christ has made my life the way it is and to trust that that same level of love will continue to guide me. Not how good I am at something or how hard I have worked, but Jesus' love will get me through. Now that's my explanation, and my explanation might sound good, and hey, it might even have some merit to it. But let's compare my explanation with Jesus's in the next verse. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. How is that possible? This almost seems too simple. Keeping his commandments will cause us to abide in his love. And to top it off, Jesus tells us that this is the same way he abides in the Father's love. He's not just blowing smoke here. 
Jesus abides in his Father's love by keeping his commandments. The same applies to us. So again, how is this possible? Now, when we get down to verse 12, it will begin to make sense. But for now, it's enough to know that this dynamic has been designed to harmonize our relationship with God since the beginning of time. Keeping his commands will produce the abiding effect in our life. And I am so glad that it does, because a week after I submitted my resume, I received an email saying that I was not referred to the hiring manager. And for that, for a federal resume to get that email basically means that your process stops here. I didn't even get an interview. I didn't even have a voice. This is my dream job. There's nothing I can do. And so I was crushed. It didn't make any sense to me. Everything seemed to be leading to this job. I really believed and prayed in faith, believing I would get this job. I thought it was the will of God, and it didn't happen. That has been confusing for me. How could I have been so misled? Where was the point that set me on the wrong track? How can I know anything about God? And even for a time, I felt cheated or even deceived by God. But eventually, I was able to feel joy again. I may still be confused, but I do have joy. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus didn't say these things... I have spoken to you that you may not be confused or that you may not be totally lost. He said that his joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. We can have joy or even better, our joy can be completely full even in the midst of confusion. God may not show you the entire map for your life, and just being real with you, there will be times where you're going to be confused. Now, I can already hear some people say, but God is not the author of confusion, you know, 1 Corinthians 14.33 and all. Uh, and that person would be right. God is not the author of confusion when it comes to church meetings. That whole chapter in 1 Corinthians is Paul nailing the church in Corinth for how out of line they were in their church meetings. They were all over the place. People were speaking in tongues and there was no interpretation. People were prophesying at the same time. People were just talking out of turn. All these things were going on and nothing was happening there that was edifying. And Paul nails the church and basically says, your church is all out of whack. It's way confused and it's not edifying. And this is not the will of God. This is not what God desires. So yes, God is not the author of confusion in church meetings. But we can't use this verse to say that we will never be confused. That is, that is, it's just absurd. It doesn't reflect reality. Truly, it doesn't even reflect the disposition of the disciples at this time. Just one chapter over in John chapter 16 we can see that even they were a bit confused. In verse 25 of John chapter 16, 
Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. And verse 29, his disciples say, See, aha, now you're speaking plainly. And you're using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. They were, they were a little confused. Jesus spoke in figurative language. There came a time when he didn't, and they were like, finally, yes, we get it. In the book of Psalms, David consistently pleaded with God to cause confusion on his enemies, cause them to be confused. And this was a pretty fairly typical plea. Not everything that God does is going to make perfect sense to us. And that's just to be, we just got to understand that. He is so much bigger than we are, and we're just so much tinier than he is. Truly, we can be very confused at times. And just so you don't think that God only confuses his enemies, uh, let's look at uh, Psalm 60. Verse 1, Psalm 60. O oh God, you have cast us off. You have broken us down. You have been displeased. O oh, restore us again. You have made the earth tremble. You have broken it. Heal its breaches, for it is shaking. In verse 3, you have shown your people hard things. You have made us drink the wine of confusion. It's okay to be confused. It is okay to be lost in the sauce or to feel like a soup sandwich or, or a football bat. You know, it's okay to feel these things. And it's okay to feel that things may never get resolved because in the end, we can always get back to the basics. And we know the basics. Let's go back to John chapter 15, verse 12 to see the basics here. John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. 1 John 3:16-18 By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? 
My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And then verse 23, and this is the command, is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. This is it. This is clear guidance when we are in the fog of confusion. This is clear, fundamental guidance for our lives. It really applies to any situation you might encounter. We can definitively know that God wants us to love one another and not just love one another, but love one another with the same love that He has loved us. Love one another with the love of Christ. When you have no idea where your life is headed, love one another. When you thought God was leading you in one direction and it led to a dead end, love one another. When confusion sets in and it looks like there's no way out, love one another. When your life has been completely flipped upside down, love one another. In all things, love one another, for this is the will of God. And in doing so, we are obeying God's commands. Verse 12 of John chapter 15. Which means we are falling in line with God's will and plan for our life. Which further means we are abiding in God's love. Verse 9 and 10. Which means we are abiding in Him. Verse 7. And His words abide in us. Also verse 7. And we will bear much fruit. Verse 5 in which God the Father is glorified, verse 8, and therefore God's joy will remain in us, verse 11, and our joy will be full, also verse 11. Did you catch all that? In the midst of confusion, we can obey God's commands and have overflowing joy in our life. We may still be confused, but joy can hold its course throughout. So this is where my wife and I are today. We don't know where God is going to be taking us, and we're okay with that because we know that we can just continue to focus on the basics, and our joy will be full and has been. We may feel confused through the whole situation, but we have the joy of God to carry us through. So if you're taking notes, some take-home questions for you. What? Homework? scary I know if you would like through the week here's a couple things for you to take home with you write down a time when you were thoroughly confused with where your life was headed but it eventually made sense now write down a time when you were thoroughly confused but it hasn't yet been resolved do you think it will be resolved And do you think unresolved issues will always be resolved? Second question, what do you think are the day-to-day actions you ought to do to fulfill God's command to love one another? Third question, what do you think is the best way to interpret John 15, 7? And fourth Humbling ourselves and loving one another may be one of the most difficult things we can do when we are in the midst of confusion 
What can you do to increase your chances of truly loving one another when times are tough? Now, I realize that our situation, my wife's and I's situation, is not life or death or kind of that kind of confusion or anything. And to you, it might seem frivolous. I also realize that you might be at that level, that life or death level of confusion, and you're trying to work it out on your own. In a little bit, I'm going to pray for you, but realize that this is not something that you can do on your own. This is why God has you here in this fellowship with the people around you to get that help that you need. No one here, no one, no one at all in here is going to have all the answers. When we read the words of Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be, be upon his shoulders. Do you think when he said that, he knew that was going to happen 700 years later? 700 some years? Probably not. We don't all have the answers. But turning to those people around you is a good first step. So I encourage you to talk to those around you and pray. Or even when the worship team comes up and does their song, that if you want to come up to the prayer teams up here, that's a good time. If, if you're confused in your life, get the help. Get the help that you need. Let's pray. Thank you, God. I pray that you are blessed. I pray that all the people here are a blessing to you, God. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. For those here who are confused in their life, I pray that you would soften their hearts, that we would all turn to our fellow man and look for the help that we need. Please help us when times are tough to love one another. I thank you so much, God, for everything. In Jesus' name, amen.